I love that song. Um, my hope every time I preach is that that's what happens, is that there would be new wine for you. Because that song is true, where there is new wine, there is new power. And so that's what I want to pray for today. So let's pray for that. Father, we offer you our minds, our hearts. We offer you this message. Because if we offer it to you, you can bring out of it and multiply out of it much more than what we give. And so God, multiply this message to meet the needs of every soul. Even beyond those watching, God, would your power carry these words to those who need it. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Well, last week we celebrated Resurrection Sunday, Easter. And we are now in a time that the church calendar calls Easter Tide. It is the time between Easter and Pentecost Sunday. It's a total of 50 days. 50 days where after the resurrected Christ, he spent time with his disciples, appearing to hundreds of people, preparing them, teaching them, pushing them to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. And Pentecost Sunday is when we celebrate the birth of the church, really the true unveiling of the plan of God that through the power of the Holy Spirit inside of every one of his people, the world could be made new, the world can be changed. 50 days of preparation. And last week, I closed the message by talking about how we are in this new playbook where we are moving from quarantined to commissioned. That we ourselves are like the disciples, where we find ourselves isolated just to have a direct relationship with God, but He is preparing us. And in this season of preparation, I do want us to get ready, to get ready for that commissioning not just a releasing from quarantine so that we can go back, but a renewing of our faith in the power of God so that wherever we go, we take his good news with us. And so over the course of these next 50 days, these seven Sundays, we're gonna be starting a new sermon series. It's titled Courageous. Courageous, because there is this message that God has to his people throughout the scriptures. We see him say it to Moses, to Joshua, to David, to Solomon, to Daniel, to Nehemiah, and then Jesus to his disciples. Be strong and courageous. Go, make disciples. Take the good news everywhere it takes you. And yes, you'll face troubles in this life, but I have overcome. Be courageous be of good courage. See, God has this habit of preparing people before he calls them to go live out and achieve his promises. And that's our season right now. We started this year with the theme of upgrade, that God would upgrade our faith and take us to a new level. None of us anticipated that we would be in a moment that felt like a downgrade, (laughs) 
But God has this habit of taking what feels like a downgrade and using it to make it an upgrade. Taking a death and making it a resurrection. Taking a grave and making it a garden. God has this habit and he is taking us now in quarantined and he is preparing us to be courageous when the time will come where we can be bold with our faith, where we can be strong. Because his promises are true, they have not changed. His promises to renew this world and to advance his kingdom have not been altered as a result of this pandemic. It is just a piece of the plan, something we can't see, something we can't understand, but God's plan cannot be stopped by this. And so he's calling us to join into it. So what is courage? The actual um, English definition is that you would have a quality of mind that would enable you to face difficulty, pain, or grief without fear. That you would be able to encounter everything that comes your way and not shrink back, not be dismayed, not be broken by it, but be able to press and persevere through it and be stronger. The biblical definition of courage when Jesus and God speak directly to his people is this that you and I would embrace God's role for us inside of his plan to advance his kingdom. And that through courage, which is to embrace a humility, saying, whatever role you have, I will do. And I will do it with boldness. I will do it with confidence. And I will do it in love. And I will do it at any cost. That's the courage that he calls us to, to embrace his role for us in his plan to advance his kingdom with humility, boldness, confidence, and love, no matter the cost. When I was praying about this a couple weeks ago, our pastors got onto a prayer call. And the prayer call was a commissioning of two women in our church that when the governor issued a request for more healthcare professionals to come out of quarantine and go into the hospitals these two women raised their hand. And we just started the call by listening to them. And it was moving to me. Because what was moving to me was to hear the conviction in their voice that they were saying, God is calling me to this role in this moment. And they had a confidence that if God was calling them to it, that they could follow him into it. They could follow him into the front lines without fear. Were there concerns? Yes. They have concerns for what that means for their family, what it means for them on the front lines. But their concerns did not stop their courage because they walked in a confidence in Christ. And as I listened to them, all I could hear was that this is the the same type of conviction that carries generation after generation of the people of God throughout history, throughout the Bible, throughout church history, that there are people that consistently had this type of courage because their confidence did not rest in circumstances. Their confidence did not rest in their own abilities, but their confidence rested in the call of God. And if God had called them to that role, then they could follow them, not just in obedience and drudgery, but with courage, believing that God accomplished something in their obedience that they could not do on their own. See, this is not the first time the church has faced a plague. 
going throughout church history, you can see that even in the Roman Empire, it was in the middle of a plague that the courage of the church modeled Christ so passionately that it stood out from the rest of the culture, that it became a message, it became a declaration that there is those who follow Christ that operate differently because their confidence does not rest in the moment, but it rests in the King. There is the plague of Cyprian in 250 AD to 262 AD. It's a long time. But it's said that the Christians were known specifically for their unbounded love and loyalty, thinking constantly of one another, running in to meet the needs wherever they found them, even at the cost for some of them of their own lives. This is the courage that a Christian can carry wherever they go. And this is the call and the offer of Christianity that you can walk in this courage and be strong no matter what you face. Every difficulty, every pain, every grief faced inside of Christ carries with it a courage unlike what is offered to us in the world. And what was profound about listening to these two women talk about this call back in to the front lines of healthcare was that over the last couple of years, I've had a front row seat to watch God build this courage into them. Because it's not just downloaded immediately when you believe in Jesus. See, we start this walk with God by faith. We believe that Jesus Christ died for us, that he rose from the dead. And if he rose from the dead, what else can he do? But we find courage not just by faith in that one event, but we find courage in letting there be a recurring event every time in our life and our relationship with him of change and transformation that we find courage as he heals every sickness in our lives, as he heals every wound and pain, as he transforms us by the power of the Holy Spirit. The courage of Christ gets downloaded more and more and more. Faith builds into courage. And what I want you to hear today is not that you need to just be like them because not everyone has the same role inside the kingdom of God. Not everyone has the same role inside of this crisis. Hearing them, I wasn't immediately like, how do I get on that list and go into the front lines? It's not my call. It's not what God has for me. But what you need to hear is that every person has a role in the kingdom plan of God. Every person has a role to play in the middle of this crisis. And what I want you to wrestle with over the course of these seven weeks inside of this courageous sermon series are these two questions. What is your role? What is your role? And how is God asking you to fulfill it? How is he asking you to get prepared? So over seven weeks, we're just gonna unpack this. And each week, begin the work of preparing for that moment when God says, it's time for you to go out from quarantine and carry with you the courage and the humility and the boldness to love like Christ to love like Christ. See, when we begin this courage, courageous sermon series today, I wanna start with the most simplest of acts because we often think about courage as charging the hardest hill, as doing the hardest act, but courage is something that builds. And so it must begin with something simple. And so I wanna start today with the courage of simple love. 
that the simple act of love, as God calls us to, can be one of the most courageous acts, and it's the courageous act that God calls us to most. And so I want to turn our attention to the words of Jesus Christ. Because in his words in John chapter 13, verse 34 through 35, he gives us a new commandment to be courageous enough to follow him in this way. He says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. A new commandment. And he says, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, the entire reason that he commissions his disciples out into the world is that they would display Christ and they would say, God wants to know you. And that knowledge that he's speaking to is not data. It's not facts. It's not numbers and figures that we can formulate into a graph. He's not saying, I want you to know the details about God. He's saying, I want you to experience God. And he says, there is one way that they will know beyond the shadow of any doubt that you are my disciples and what Jesus is like, and that's if you have love for one another. A simple act of love. And what was impressed upon me is that the simplest things are often the hardest to do. They're definitely the hardest to maintain, especially this idea of love. Because what God is calling us to do is not to make love an everyday practice, but an every minute reality. Because if it's a love like Christ loved us, he doesn't take days off, he doesn't take moments off. He'll retreat occasionally to be with God, to be renewed, but then it's always to come back so that in every moment he's prepared and he's ready to love in the way and the moment that you and I need it. See, the greatest act of courage is to choose to love every minute, not just in the moments where you feel like it. And so I wanna answer two questions around this passage that I wrestled with specifically. The first question is, why is it new? He says this is a new commandment, but it doesn't always sound new from the Bible. Why is it new? And then how do we do it? Why is it new and how do we do it? So first, why is it new? It doesn't sound like a new commandment to me on the surface. It just sounds like an extension or an iteration of an old idea. Jesus himself said that all of the commandments can be summarized in two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Even in Jesus' teaching, it doesn't sound new because he extends that idea to say your neighbor even includes your enemies. And yet he says to his disciples during that last supper, and get your mind out of the Da Vinci last supper, like it's not just him and his boys, like it's men and women and anybody that could fill that room that claimed that he was their king. And he looks at all of them and he says, there's one way that the world out there will know that you are my disciples. If you follow this new commandment to love. See, it's not an iteration of an old idea. It's a complete new innovation of an old idea. And iterations and innovations are different. You know, take for instance, the iPhone. See, That was not just an iteration of cell phones. And for those old enough to remember, uh, 
there were iterations of cell phones. Because before the iPhone, there was that sweet singular wireless razor, right? There was a company called Singular with a C. (laughs) It existed. And that was an iteration from the Nokia block phone with the nice antenna that you got to extend. (laughs) And you could change the cover on it for your swag. But that was just an iteration from the Zach Morris Saved by the Bell phone. And for those of us who really remember, that was an iteration from the book that you had to unzip in your car and then plug into the lighter and then had the cord attached to it as if it was at your phone, right? Iterations. And those were just iterations of a landline. But the iPhone was an entire new innovation. And now it's something that we feel like we can't live without, the idea of have it, not having a smartphone we think is absurd. It's almost a human right. Like my kids don't think they're humans until they're 10 and get, they get like a smartphone in their hands, right? An innovation that we don't believe that we can live without at any moment or any minute. It feels attached to us. And when Jesus says a new commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, he's saying this is a new innovation, that I never intended for you to live without, but over the course of human history, it was separated, that you could not feel that same measure of love that I had for you. And so I had to come into your life, come right into your face, so that you would know what that love actually looks like, so that you would say, I don't wanna live another moment without it. I want it to be attached to me. I want it to be what I experience forever. A new innovation of love. And we are in a moment where we need an innovation of love because there are iterations of love that our culture has adopted and that we have adopted that are unhealthy and unhelpful. One of those is partisan love, where we love because I agree with you and you agree with me. It's easy to see in our politics That if you align with a certain party, I can love you, I can like you, but if you do not, you are a villain to me. Even within our own political parties, right, that we choose, there are these iterations that, well, you're not as hardcore as me on this area, or you're not as far in this, and so then I don't love you. It's a love based on agreement. That love is fragile, because the minute you disagree with someone, The minute you offend them because you have an alternate idea, all of a sudden that love crumbles. That's no substance to that love. And before you think I'm just condemning politics, I see it in the church more than I see it in politics. I see it inside of the body of Christ where we have said, unless you agree and look like me, you do not belong here. And Jesus comes to eradicate that because the diversity in that room at the Last Supper and the diversity that will be in that room up in heaven and the final days that is every tribe, tongue, and nations declares that I don't need you to look like me. I don't need you to agree with me. My love is not based on that because the partisan love that gets shattered by this new innovation is that Jesus sees us the way we were designed in God's image bearing it however we look and wherever we go and in every form that we take. And he says, therefore, I love you because you're mine. There's another iteration of love that we've adopted, and that's personal love. 
a love based on how you make me feel. And if you make me feel good, I like you. But if you don't make me feel good, I will never spend time with you. Now, please don't hear me say that you just have to love all those people that harm you and hurt you and you have to be around them. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that inside of this personal love iteration, we dumb down love to if I feel okay towards you or if I feel like you matter. And so our love is based on this ebb and flow of our energy levels in the moment or our emotions on that day. And so it is guided by how we feel. And Jesus comes to say, I have a greater innovation than just how I feel towards you. Because don't you think at times that Jesus didn't feel very friendly towards some of these disciples? I mean, there were times when they were just kind of off the wall, away from any ideas that he had. He didn't always feel this affection, like, I can't wait to love you, Peter. You're so fun to be around when you disagree with me. No. He didn't live in the iterations of love. He brought a tire new innovation. And I want you to hear that God's love for you is not based on how you make him feel. Because there are times that I guarantee that you and I don't make him feel great towards us. When we reject his ideas, when we rebel against him willingly and regularly, I doubt that he's up there going, oh man, they make me feel so great. See, because his love is not based on how we make him feel. The love of Christ is different. In Romans chapter eight, it says that you and I are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then he goes on to say, there's nothing that can separate us from that love. That that's this binding link that when you place your faith in Christ, you are forever attached to and nothing can break it. He says, not life, not death, not powers of darkness, nor evil, nor sin. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Why? Because it's not based in your abilities or your effort or your feelings. It's based in Jesus Christ. See, this love that he talks about is called agape. Greek, agape is the word. It is a love of the mind and the will, not based merely on affections. It has some affections, but it is not dictated to by the affections. It is that God has placed a value on you, a choice that he has said you have. And that value that he has said in his mind and will is based on what Jesus has done, not what you and I do tomorrow. He looks at the work of Jesus during Holy Week and during his entire life and says, I value that so much. I value the death of Jesus, that it covers everyone's sin and their rebellion if they receive that. I value the resurrection of Jesus Christ so much that I see them as alive again, not just dead in their sins. And so when you and I say, I believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that love gets attached to you and never, no disagreements that you have with God, no feelings that you have towards God separate you from that love. This is the love of Christ. And how much courage does it take Christ to stay in that love with you? That no matter how far you run, no matter how far you disagree and just rebel against him, he says, I will choose to place my love upon you. I will choose today to continue to love you despite what happened yesterday. It's an act of courage that Christ chooses every single day.
He bestows it upon you because of his death and his resurrection. All because you believe. That is the value. And so now the question is how do you and I fulfill this commandment? How do you love like Christ? How do you do it? Well, as I've wrestled with this, what Jesus is telling his disciples is look back over the years that I've spent with you. See the many ways in which I have loved you. Learn from that type of love and then give that type of love to others. You and I always have to learn love and receive love before we can give it. Many of the people that we see, and that includes you and I, that have difficulty loving, it's the result of us mirroring patterns and an experience of love that is not divine, but was actually harmful, was often lacking. And so you and I have to go back and relearn love. Every new innovation requires that we adapt to it. And so we have to learn how to use this new innovation for our best and our greatest benefit. And the same is true of love. And the question that I believe that God is asking you today is, are you open to learning how to love again? Are you open to even being loved differently by God? See, because you can't get love if you are not open to it. If you're constantly giving the cold shoulder, it's hard to be embraced and embrace God. You ever seen someone that's not a hugger be hugged by someone that is a hugger? They're just like, I don't want this to keep going. See, you have to open up again. We sing this song called Touch of Heaven regularly as a church. And it says in in its chorus, I want to live within your love. And part of the chorus says, I will open up again. I will throw my fears into the wind. I'm desperate for that touch of heaven. And I think there's too many of us that because of trauma and fears and discouragement, just as Janice was saying earlier, that sense that maybe God's not going to come through. He's not going to love me in the way that I want. He's not going to love me in the way that I need. We have closed ourselves off and hardened our hearts to it. And so now to receive the love of God, he has to chisel away because we have not let him do the work of just renewing and healing us by his love. He says it's his loving kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his love that comes and heals and restores us and strengthens us again. The disciples had to open themselves up to learn love before they could ever be commissioned to go and give the love of God. The world does not need any more partisan love. The world does not need any more personal love. It needs the love of Jesus Christ to come directly into their life, to love them beyond their wounds, to love them beyond their pain, to love them beyond even when it feels like they're enemies. They need that. They need us to be courageous enough to choose love every single day. So how did the disciples learn to love? Well, briefly... Uh, I I, I say briefly, they learned to love in hundreds of ways. They watched Jesus do it with a variety of different people. But I believe that God wants to challenge you in four specific ways. And I just want to run through them briefly, and I'm going to let you spend the week meditating on them. The first 
is what the disciples experienced is that he labeled people according to their potential, not according to their past and not according to their problems. He bestowed on them labels of hope. See, Jesus, when he meets Peter, he finds him as an experienced fisherman. He says, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. When he meets Mary Magdalene, the label that she's given in the gospels as a woman who once had seven demons. Man, to be, to be labeled by the demons that you and I are haunted by is not what we would choose. And that's not the love that Jesus chooses to give to us. Because in Mary Magdalene, Jesus sees such potential in her that now she is known as an apostle to the apostles, as one worthy for him to reveal the resurrection to first so that she can go and be commissioned to tell the other apostles about the good news that Jesus rose from the dead. And he can see someone like Peter, someone that ebbs and flows in all of his emotions and say, I see you as a rock upon which I can build my kingdom. See, one of my favorite moments in pastoral ministry and one of the things that I miss the most is sitting across the coffee table for many of you and hearing you wrestle about your future and your career and then listening to God try to speak through me to say, you're not just what your LinkedIn resume says. God doesn't work according to LinkedIn job search profiles. Like, because so many of us have that I'm just mentality. And Jesus says, you're way more than that. I take every skill you have, I take every story that you tell about your life and I turn it into power and strength for my kingdom. And there is a role that he has for you and he wants to speak it to you. Maybe it's that you open the scriptures and you associate yourself with a character in the Bible and he says, I have made you like this because I believe that's who I will make you to become. Maybe it's in prayer you hear him declare to you something that sounds crazy on the surface but you know it's possible because of his kingdom work through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Open up and receive from him a new label based on your potential. But because he can label you according to your potential, the second way that he loves his disciples is he corrects them according to his call on their lives. He corrects them according to his call because love isn't always what we describe as positive experiences. Because there are times when Jesus rebukes Peter, when he rebukes Mary, when he says to him, you are not in line with how I'm thinking. I'll build my kingdom on you, but now you're going against my kingdom. So I'm gonna call you back to that. He doesn't even correct him according to his betrayal. He corrects him according to his call. When Peter denies him three times, he comes and he says, remember, I have called you to build my kingdom. Go feed my lambs, go lead and care for them to Mary Magdalene who sees him in the resurrection and she clings to his feet. He says, let go. I have you to, you have to go take this message to somebody else. You don't just sit with me all day. See, this is the good news that he corrects according to his call on your life. Yesterday, uh, we were spending time looking at old photographs and we were just sitting there thinking, oh, remember when we could go outside and didn't feel guilty about it? Oh, that was so pleasant. But we were seeing our kids much younger and the experiences that we had, and it was so fun. But I remember as they were younger, us telling them, don't forget you were a creator, not a destroyer. And so if there was destruction happening in our home, because sometimes that happens, 
It was a call to remember that God made you to create, not to destroy your brother or your sister, to build life into them, to speak words of blessing over them, that God's made you to be that. He always corrects us according to the potential and the calling he has for our future. But the third is that he loves to perform miracles in order to make miracle workers. See, he loves us by letting us see miracles, but also by doing miracles for us. Mary experienced the miracle of being set free from what had bound her her entire life. Demonic evil forces, addictive cycles. And he performed a miracle for her that she would become a miracle worker. There are too many of us inside of LMCC who've seen miracles and we've been too shy. We've been too shy about the miracles that we've, been see- we've seen. We've been too shy to even ask for miracles. When are you gonna grow weary of your shyness and finally say, come in and do that miracle that I'm begging for? I've seen the miracle. It's time for me to tell other people about it. It is not courageous to experience a miracle but it is courageous to believe that more miracles can come. It is courageous to declare that the God of miracles continues to do miracles today. And after this is over, and even now in the middle of this, there is a people that are desperate for a God who's more powerful than a pandemic. And we know him and we've seen him do it. We've seen his presence come in in powerful ways. And he has called us to be courageous enough only to tell the story and to believe that he wants that story to spread wider, faster, further than this disease ever can. He wants to do miracles to make miracle workers. That's how he loves us. But lastly, he loves us in a way that long suffers. He long suffers with our limiting beliefs and our behaviors. He allows for us to go through cycles of doubt and discouragement and loves us through it. He allows us to experience our sense of rebellion, our highs and our lows, and loves us consistently through it. The courage of sustaining love is one of the biggest challenges that you and I have because we can love in the middle of a crisis. We can love in a few moments, but can we love when it becomes mundane and ordinary? Can we love when healing takes years? Can we love when behaviors don't change overnight? Because Jesus loves progress more than he loves perfection. He loves to see you make a progress, to say, to deny that struggle once, even if tomorrow you fall into it. He's not destroying you because of your fall. He's saying, look what you did once. Now you can do it again. And the love of Christ says, you've made progress and I see your potential and I'm building you towards perfection. And what I began in you, I will see to completion. Are you ready to open up to that type of love? Because that's what we'll be commissioned to. Because the next question that you and I have to answer is who are we called to? Each of these disciples will be called to a different people group. They'll be called to different countries. They'll be called to different cities. They'll be called to different types of people. 
And you and I will be commissioned back into our workplaces. And he will say, you're not just a finance analyst anymore. You are to analyze the patterns of people's lives and speak the progress and the power of God into it. You're not just an artist that is creating and writing poetry and songs. You are helping people see the beauty of God by articulating his truths. There is a calling that he has placed upon your life. He's asking, what is your role? And how can you get prepared to love those people? See, because this commandment sounds very exclusive. It looks like it's only for the body of Christ. That you are to love one another and therefore you'll know you're my disciples. And there is a unique love that we are to have. But God didn't call me to love my wife starting the day that we exchange vows. He called me to love her, to believe that, that my vows could actually be fulfilled. See, Jesus looks down on all of Jerusalem and he says, I see potential brothers and sisters inside of my Christian kingdom. And you and I are called to look at the world the same way. That we, he sees those people as harassed and helpless and needing of a shepherd. And that we would choose to bestow upon them the love of God that says, I see you made in his image and I can't wait to join him in restoring that image in its fullness to bring healing and hope to the hurting. The last thing I wanna tell you, if you are a believer, this is not optional. It's a command. Your king has given you new orders and disobedience is not courageous. But obedience in the face of other people telling you to do partisan and personal love, obedience to love like Christ, that is courageous. And that's what he's called us to. And we can practice it now in quarantine as we get prepared to be commissioned. Let's pray. Father, I pray on behalf of everyone who's listening to this, and I ask that by your power, you would open up their minds, you would open up their hearts, that you would show them how they have hardened themselves to you, that they might open up again to receive and learn to be loved by you so that we can be a people that make you known through the way that we love. Jesus, let us see your work on our behalf as valuable enough to always stay inside of your love and to, to live in a way that loves other people. God, guide us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.